Well, I guess we're live. What's up, everybody? I'm Dustin from Track Days and Talking Motorbikes. Tonight, we're on with the Superbike Genius again, episode three of our Moto Spec series. So, uh, Richard forgot his lab coat and shit today, but um, I guess we're going to get going, yeah? It's a Yamaha official lab coat. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I got to get me one of those. <laughs> you know, when you're a shitty engineer, you do motorcycle racing. Nice. Nice. You end up with these kinds of lab coats. Well, yeah. I mean, so yeah, uh, interesting stuff that's going on, right? I mean, I guess uh, uh, Johnny Ray got to test the World Superbike. Yeah, you know, I watched his comments, read his comments, and so, you know, when you when you weed through a lot of the little little stuff, it sure sounds like the same kinds of comments we get about our bike when another rider rides it. You know, oh, it's user friendly. It's this and that. So take me a minute to get used to the way the you know the cross plane works and. Right. Yeah, it seems so. His comments were so familiar. It was like, oh, that dude hopped on our bike. But I guess you know we're not that far apart. They're both young right. R ones with yeah. similar suspension bits and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I guess uh, he seemed to like it. Yeah. Like. I mean, yeah, every, everyone's on a honeymoon deal when when they first hop on a new team. You know, they'll be all, oh, everybody's great. Yeah, yeah, it's super it's great. Good. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> I, th I think he'll have a good time with it. I, th I don't know when, when they're, you know, he kept saying, uh, we'll see what happens when the racing happens. I think he's a much better racer than, right. uh, I, I mean, the dude's an animal on the racetrack. It just that yeah. you can see with the Cowie, he just didn't have the grip at the end. The thing would just drop off. And, and uh, I'm sure those guys were trying, but it just didn't seem to really cooperate in the long run where the Yamaha was a bit better. You know, Yamaha and Ducati were a bit better on that long, you know, long race distance. So it'd be interesting to see how he does. Uh, I can't wait for the season to start. Just be a few yeah, more times. Yeah, And then yeah. what do you think of, uh, what do you think of Bautista getting the GP uh, wild card? I think that's going to be pretty cool. I, uh, I'd like to see it. I'm, a, I'm definitely going to tune in and watch that. You know, I'd, I'd like to see what he does. I mean, he's the right size. He's the right aggression. He's, you know, everything about it. I think he had a really he's, good test. He's a midget. Right? He's a midget. Yeah, he's a midget. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I know that during during the test, I, I kind of hope that, in a way, I kind of hope that our series does this, but the combined rider weight, uh, rider motorcycle weight. Okay. Uh, I think Batista had a little difficult time with, with that in the test because they were talking, trying to figure out where to put the mass. Mm. And you know, if you put if you put five to seven kilograms on a bike, that's a lot of mass. That's a steel bar or steel something. Those bikes are so so small and so compact. It's really hard to find a place for you. People say, oh, well, you can put the mass anywhere you want. Take advantage of it. And it's not quite that easy. Right. You know, sometimes you end up with a weight somewhere where the rider's like, man, I don't know. It doesn't feel right to me. So it's going to take them a few rounds to get used to it. But I think it's not figured out. I kind of remember a stupid Willow thing where uh, it was a winter time and there was a guy that had some old GP bike with a single in it or something. And he used a, he used like a Ziploc bag full of buckshot as a weight ballast. <laughs> you know, don't laugh. We used to have, we used to put shot bags in our Kawasaki frame back in 04 and 05. The thing was so underweight. So yeah. we used to put shot in areas, and we uh, actually we had uh, the whole lower cross members full of lead, lead shot. Yeah, so it's it you can definitely put put weight in places, but it's it wasn't easy for sure. We were way light back then. Really? 
Yeah, yeah. That bike had a pretty pretty light frame, even after you reinforced it, because it really needed reinforcement because the frame was a piece of junk. But you know, it, it needed it needed quite a bit of work, and and so once you got done with the work, it was still light. It was amazing. But we finally got the thing to work. Somewhat. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what the buckshot I was talking about was like literally like duct taped into the nose, and the dude crashed, and the fucking buckshot went everywhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they need to have some rules with regards to where you can put ballast. Yeah, there was some there was some conversations for sure. They do have some rules with regards to how how to secure ballast on a bike. It yeah. isn't work. Yeah, yeah. So Batista should have an interesting time with trying to make that bike heavier, and it should be a much better better play for everyone. I think it's I think it's a better call, you know, to have a combined weight. Some of the taller riders, Redding and those guys, have got a better shot at running at the front. Right. You know, have the, the tires wear about the same. That's where that's where the weight really makes a difference is the tire wear. Yeah, so hopefully our series will do that. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, then like the big yoked out dudes could like you know be dangerous. Well, it costs a lot of money to build a bike that light. That's the problem. Mm. It can't be totally like it can't be my weight. It can't be over two hundred pounds and, and expect to keep up with a hundred forty pound guy. There's no way the bike have to weigh nothing. Well, I mean, at the at that level, you shouldn't be over two hundred pounds. Anyway, yeah, but I was born at 200 pounds. What can I say? I was 200 wow. pounds in high school. I was I was over 200 pounds in high school too. Yeah, but you were fat. Hey, shut your <laughs> mouth, man. I was all muscle. Actually, I wasn't I wasn't fat in high school. I was uh, I I was pretty fit, but you know, a different kind of muscle. You know, playing football like crap. You know. Right, right, got you. Eating eating them peanut butter sandwiches. That's it. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, I got a call from Ben Spezia uh, uh, a couple of days ago too. So they're starting to put that team together, get it, get it rolling. They're supposed to make an announcement. He said this week with hmm. regard to the riders. I have no idea who the riders are going to be, but I've seen who the internet says they're going to be the riders. Who's that? Everybody says uh, PJ. Yakov. PJ and Yakov. Yeah, everybody's saying PJ and and Kayla Yakov. Yeah, yeah. And then people are saying JD too. I'd like to see JD on it personally. I think he, I think he'd do a really good job. You saw how progression was with him, but you know, I, he he did give me a hint that he might be on the super sport bike this next year in road racing. So, huh. let's see if let's see if Jake Zemke did his job and got him a ride. That's supposed to be last week, but I haven't heard anything else. You know, I mean, so I, you know, seeing another team, a, a well funded, you know, semi truck level team come into the paddock. Ready to come, ready to kind of come out swinging. I don't know who the yeah. riders are going to be, but man, that sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I, it sounds talking to Ben. I think it sounds like they're going to go super bike racing, maybe the following year or the year okay. after. So he said it was at least a three-year effort, at least. Oh wow! So yeah, so he said he he seems like he'll be involved in it at least that long. But it'll be interesting to see, and I'm I'm glad to see Ben back in the paddock as well. You know, it's been a long time since he's been gone. As, as a rider and uh, come in as some kind of manager, that'd be pretty cool. And yeah. ride coach, I think he's a, he has a lot to offer for the for the riders he's going to work with. Yeah, yeah. You know, right at every level, really. World Superbike champion, you know, MotoGP guy, and I mean, it's it, he is he's got so much information he can share to those riders. And they go superbike racing. I think we're going to have a, our hands full. You know, I think the series should be pretty healthy if you got Bobier coming back and. You know, the Ducati's probably going to be that much faster and better. And, and 
if these guys jump into super bike later on, man, it might be hard to get in the top five. I mean, isn't it kind of hard to get in the top five now? No. <laughs> I guess it's harder for some than others. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to be off the podium right now. <laughs> okay. That's a challenge for us. We have, wow. to really, we have to really mess it up. We have to really be handicapped mentally. Well, I mean, you know, it seems like uh, with the shenanigans or whatever, there's always something, right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you're, uh, you haven't stopped working, you know, I mean. you. Yeah, no, we're working on a, we learned a lot about tires. I think some of, the, some of the stuff we might talk about is tires with this Motospec thing, but we, were, we learned a lot about tires last year and how to hold the temperature even before we even put them on the bike and so yeah, so we've been we've been building a new tire oven in the off season here, and it's pretty cool. We'll hold sixteen wheels, and it'll also be our tire transporter. So it'll be an oven transporter all in one, basically. It's like a big moving crate, okay. but uh, sliding doors and and uh, a bunch of bunch of um, controllers, and you can heat sixteen tires at once if you wanted to. We don't ever heat that many. We might heat ten at a time for two right. rides, but you know you're you're going through tires. You have to make sure your tires are right every single time. So yeah, you turn on. Going. You guys get to the track early just to turn the ovens on, right? Yeah, you know, with the, with the newer newer type warmers that Caput's been been uh, giving us, uh, or you know, give uh, you know, uh, supporting us with the uh, there they you can control both the rim and the tire separately. So with that, you could run your rim a little bit hotter and not really try to get all the heat through the tire into the mass of the tire. Mm. So it'll, it takes a little less time in that way to get the internal temperature up. At the same time, you don't have to over overheat your rubber trying to get your rim up to temperature. Yeah. So that's the, the rim stability and, and, and the internal pressure temperature has been kind of a big deal for us lately. So you, uh, with the tire warmer stuff, I guess you're still working with Capit on that? Yeah. Greg yeah, yeah. and... Yeah, Greg's you know. rolling up his sleeves, trying to figure out something for you guys. Uh, maybe rolling out his checkbook. I don't know. Oh well, there that <laughs> works too, right? <laughs> no, he doesn't pay us. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, all right, Greg, if you're if you're listening, like, come he's on, bro. Lunch when he comes down here, almost every time, though. Yeah, yeah. Let him pay for lunch at least. Yeah, that's about he it. pays for dinner at the Tess a lot. I know that he's, he's he's quick to pay for those dinners. Whenever I try to grab that check, he's already got it and done. Like, man, you have to do that again. But anyway, it's all good. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, you know, jump in this moto spec thing and yeah, yeah. So we're you know, we're, we're stuff. focusing on the rear today. But just before we get rolling on that, um, I wanted to kind of throw at you uh, a lot of commentary I got from one of the clips that I made from the last video. Um, mm. you had this whole thing and it was really funny. <laughs> it was like, I what I said, it went off, I'm sure. Yeah, dude, totally. And you know what? I think that was kind of intentional. Um, but there were some people that are like asking, it was about the fork springs and not yeah. averaging the spring rates. Yeah. He yeah. says he's got a 10 O in one side and a nine O in the other. He's like, Oh yeah, that's a nine five. No, and, um, you basically like shit on that which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing those that all of our suspension guys, suspension technicians, engineers don't know how to don't know how to add forces together. 
just amazing right. the spring rates. So, so, anyway, so, does that, so what you're saying, number one, the, the questions I got were, does it mean that we have to run the same spring rate in both forks? No. Or, or does it just mean, what, what the fuck does it mean, man? Like, well, um, it means that when you have a, one spring in one leg, and then you have another spring in the other leg, you add those two, those two rates together to get your total rate. That's what it means. So if, they, if you're saying that I have an 11 in one leg and a 10 in the other, isn't it 10.5? Like I hear a suspension guy say all the time, where are you running up front? 10.25. 10.25, where do you get that number from? Do you have a five in one leg and a five and a quarter in the other leg? No, that's not the way spring rates work. They, they actually, when you run two springs in parallel, you know, Hooke's Law, you would sum, sum the uh, springs together. So I've got a little picture I stole off the internet along with some little bit of explanation here because I don't want to draw it myself. So you want to see it? See it? Yeah, let's see it. It's a, what do you call it? Hooke's Law or something? Yeah, it's Hooke's Law, Spring Law, also works on capacitors and a bunch of other stuff. But so let me just go ahead and share the screen here. And I'll show you in MotoSpec too what I'm, what I'm talking about. So, so here it is. You have two springs. Oh, where'd it go? Where'd it go? I see a black screen. Oh, there it, there, there, there it is. is. There it is. It doesn't like to be moved around. Okay, there it is. What is with your crappy software you got here for streaming oh, stuff? Oh, God damn it. It's, yeah, it's only me. So anyway, so what this thing says is basically if you have, if you have, wow, this is going to be screwed up. It's going to do this the whole Stop time. Stop moving your mouse, man. Just talk. Okay. I'm not moving the mouse. What the I'm going to stop sharing this and come back and try it again. Okay. Yeah, that's better. I was like going to have a seizure. <laughs> okay. There we go. Hey, it's working. Oh, See, it's, your, it's your silly, stupid software. You got to change it. Uh -huh. so, so basically, you have two springs there, and uh, this one is extending it, but it's the same same crap if you're compressing them. So right. it, two springs. See, picture two springs, and one's one rate, one's the other rate, and they both produce a certain amount of force, right? So that is equivalent to a single spring. And the way the formula works is K1 plus K2. Imagine K is your rate. 10 O, 11 O, 10 O plus 11 makes what? 21 for the total. It's really simple. So you don't have to add these and then divide by two. Like suspension guys always tell you when you're talking to them. Oh, I got 1075 in the front. You should really make, an, make that an 11. I have no idea what they're talking about when they say that. I just, my brain turns off. I say you're a moron. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like a simple formula. Look at this. K equals K1 plus K2. Look, K1, K2, add them together, you end up with K. K is the constant, which is a spring rate. Pretty wow. simple. Right? That is, uh, that, I think I learned that formula in the third grade. Yeah, and these guys should go back to third grade. Wow. So let's go ahead and do something. And <laughs> take, they need to take third grade over again. Oh, man. So, so here, let's let's hear let's look at this. Okay, here's an example. I uh, just this is a a MotorSpec file that had open uh, last time. It was a standard R1, and then your let's say your R1 that we're kind of poking around with. You know, some right. study where you have in your bike. So 
Uh, let's, for shits and giggles, let's make this the same, 9.5 in this leg and 9.5 in this leg, right? Right. So see how they both have the exact same forces, right? Yeah. So, so this is, this is, uh, you know, un uncompressed down here. This is fully compressed over there. 120 millimeters of stroke. So then you come over here and you go, okay, Hey, you know what? I'm going to zero one leg because I think it's the same rate because 9.5, right? I got 9.5 in there. So I'll put zero in there and look, it's half the force. So really is simple. that like the equivalent of uh, putting a turn of wedge in there? Like yeah, a turn of education in there or something. I don't know, but it's just amazing me. So these guys, you know, they come they come in and they go, okay, I got a ten in one leg, and then I have an eleven in the other leg, and that's equivalent to a ten five. No, it's not. That's equivalent to a twenty one. Okay. Now this this program takes into account the uh, the uh, rake angle in the in the total force, or you can do it straight. You know, we talked about that once already. You can go straight into the fork. You know, uh, parallel to fork, or you can. But it also takes into account gas pressure, preload, you know, top out spring, all these different things. So it's not going to come out. It's going to be higher than what, what if you were just to calculate out 21 newtons across 120 millimeters. You know, so right. the total force is going to come out higher than that. But okay. this is just an example of. You know, it, 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 it does, this doesn't become, now this is an 11. If you zero that out, that's an 11. So that's an 11 in one leg. And 11, not two nine fives beating 11. It's almost like playing cards. You know, wow. pretty simple. That's it. As a matter of fact, you can run one fork spring if you want. You can put, here, check this out. So... Let's well, say just take the whole, take the left fork off, just run the right fork and you'd be good. Well, there you go. You put a 19 and you put a 19 on the right leg and two nine fives on the other bike. It's the same force. Hmm. Pretty simple, huh? A 19. Just add. Don't divide by two. Just add. It'd be like the Cannondale, you know, the bicycle with the one fork leg. Well, you know, uh, what was, what was it? The, uh, what was that? Uh, that little Yamaha bike that I think I got one in the shop. That little fifty. Yeah. Two stroke. Yeah. I think that thing had one fork spring. Really? I think I had one fork spring or one damping rod or something like that. But you could you could technically run one one fork spring if you really wanted to, but it'll put a lot of stress on the fork because you're gonna put a big twisting a twisting uh, uh, force on the axle. It's probably gonna put a lot of wear on the on the bushings and seals. You kinda wanna keep the springs, I mean just ideally you want to keep the springs kind of close. If you have a 10 and 11, that's fine. Even a nine and 10. Sometimes what we'll do, if we know it's going to be raining, okay? So we'll do, let's say an 11 in one leg and we'll do a, a 10 in the other leg. And so if it's, if it's raining and we want to knock it down pretty quick, we might just take out the right fork spring and just go, I'm just going to do a nine in that fork spring. And now I've got, what do I have total 19 newtons? But somebody might say it's a nine five. Right. I guess it's more terminology. You know, but yeah. why add the two springs together to divide and then average them and then multiply by two to get your force again? Why just add them together and you're done? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like when everybody calls everything cups, you know? Right. Yeah. So anyway, so that's the whole spring thing. Any other questions regarding fork springs? Um, I don't think so. I do have some comments in here about some of the stuff we've talked about earlier. Um, yeah. 
So uh, I got one guy, the, the K2T2 guy, uh, as asking if ballast is allowed in the fuel tank for World Superbike. I don't know why not. I know there's there's certain there's certain rules with, with how to secure it because um, we've had ballast on our bike and you know it, at our level you have to be pretty careful about how you do things uh, so um, we did secure it by uh, by the rules a certain amount of screws and this and that so I can't imagine why you couldn't put ballast in the tank or I don't know why you couldn't put a aluminum bar in the tank and weld it in you know right. just you got a thicker fuel tank. Yeah, you the whole fuel tank thicker. We 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 generally, if we if we know we're going to be a, a kilogram lighter, so we might run a couple more liters of fuel to make sure we finish the race with X amount of fuel left in the tank because they don't drain the tank when they're doing the fuel check. They they uh, they just weigh the bike as it comes off the racetrack. Mm. Yeah, so you can always run a little bit more fuel. But I think in World Superbike, you can't do that because they're limiting the fuel quantity as well i think they've gone to 21 liters was it 21 yeah. 24 they're going down to 21 and that'll be a stretch for those guys they're gonna have to really be careful how much fuel they use yeah especially with the yeah. power you know? yeah yeah i mean more more fuel more power so then uh jesse nelson says uh when like when slash if i'm adding the slash if part but yeah he says uh when one of the ray hall riders gets hurt how hard are they going to beg Spees to ride for them? Uh, I don't know what the deal is with him. I know he had a shoulder injury, so I don't know if he has some type of insurance policy where he can't race professionally. Right. Yeah, sometimes those guys will have. Uh, that's, a, that's a question for Ben. Yeah. But that, sometimes those guys, like I think Fred Merkel had that when he came back to the States and raced Superbike, and he ended up getting hurt in, in Phoenix, uh, one of the races. Yeah. And he took the rest of the career off. Uh, he got paid out. Pretty good sum of money, but I, I think Scott Russell had the same kind of deal. Yeah, he injured and then he got paid out for the for the through I don't know if it was a Lloyd's in London policy or whatever. But I think that if they come back, they they have to either return some money or don't back, pay yeah. or something. Something happens with that insurance. I don't know if Ben had that or not. I imagine his level, he might have had that. Okay. So it might cost him a lot of money to come back and race. Hmm. I'm just guessing. I don't know for sure. And then uh, Moto Prospector wants to know if, uh, if has nitrogen been tested in the tires like they do in car racing. Supposedly it has less air pressure fluctuation with the temperature change, or is that just hillbilly NASCAR witchcraft? No, I mean there is there is if you get the moisture out, you can you can definitely affect how how the vapor pressure works. And um, we use nitrogen. Yeah, we bleed the tires and put nitrogen in there. And they Dunlop has a dryer, but whenever we get the tires back, we we uh, we we blow them out a few times and bottle them up with fill them up with nitrogen. That's definitely what we do. Okay. MotoGP does the same, and I think at world level, I think all like Pirelli, I'm pretty sure just just uses nitrogen, even to air the tires up. And then um, Jesse also this that's that dude from Minnesota, by the way. He's one of the yeah. trainer dudes, OG CRA guys. Um, yeah. He says he fails to understand why you're saying different. Like, it's added two rates together or don't and divide them by two. Six, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Yeah, I suppose. It's terminology. Yeah. I mean, you could call the wheel a tire if you want. No, I call them rims, man. 
Yeah, so you can call your tires rims. It's all about rims. I mean, if someone says it's got 10.5 in the front end, it's just terminology. I mean, get the proper, if you're going to talk force, talk proper force. That's all. Don't talk half the force. There you go. Okay. Yeah. If you sense. want to talk average, if you want to talk average and then multiply by two to figure out how much force you have, yeah, good, great. Just a and number. And then Chris McCreary, before we get going on the rear end, Chris yeah. McCreary says, uh, would Motospec help on where to add the weights to find the center of gravity? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's I'm, talk about it. Yeah. Let's yeah. have some fun yeah. with the rear end. Yeah, yeah. So let's see here. Um, so with regards to the rear end, you have, you have a number of different things you can adjust. So you can got, you have your wheelbase, which, which affects the length of the swing arm. Uh, you could do that through the axle adjuster. You have a linkage. Uh, you have your swing arm pivot, if you have an adjustable pivot. And then you have your ride height you can, you can play around with. And then, of course, there's other things that affect that, like tire, tire diameters and sprockets. So we can start, uh, easiest thing on this program, just start from the top. So you have your swing arm length, right? Yeah. And uh, so uh, here's, again, a stock motorcycle. This is something similar to what you're running. And I know you're running somewhere around 602 millimeters or so of swing arm length. So when you do that, you'll end up with, uh, some changes here with, we talked about some of these cells and what they mean, right? But when you just go ahead and change your, your swing arm length and you're going to end up adjusting your center of gravity, right? So you're moving your center of gravity forward. In essence, you're putting more load on the front tire. Right. So when you do that, uh, you're also taking some load off the back tire, but you're also making the bike a bit longer. So less wheelie prone and you're also making the bike taller. Yes. Because the axle, axle slot is, is angled down. So you're able to see what your heights are in this program and how you affected your swing arm slope uh, and how you've affected your anti-squat. So your anti-squat. I, I can attest to the lack of wheelies. Yeah. yeah I it was a wheelie guy, dude. And like, yeah. Now this shit doesn't wheelie hardly at all. Yeah. But you got to be careful. The longer you make the bike, the less load you have on the rear. So now you're going to have to balance that out with something. And with yours, we went and put a, a one degree rake in the front end. And so we balanced it out. So I kind of want to show you uh, this and we'll change, we'll change the center of the bike. So right now it's kind of on the, it was on the front axle. Right. So we'll change the center of the bike to the pivot. I, hope, I like to see it this way instead. So now you can kind of see visually that you've extended the front of the motorcycle and you've extended the rear of the motorcycle and your center of gravity is kind of close to where it was before by making the bike longer in the back, longer in the front. So your bike's, your bike's balance is similar and you can go back and you can change different settings on here to uh, adjust for that by maybe changing your spring rates in the front. Uh, and uh, that's the force of the front you're looking at there uh, to make, to help balance your bike out as well. So okay. the swing arm length, I think is one of those things that's pretty, pretty important. For how the bike works and the, and uh with swing arm length uh, it's a double-edged sword like i said it unloads the rear a little bit and but it helps it with uh with anti-wheelie and also if the bike wheelies anyway you're transferring 100 percent of the mass of the rear tire so the longer you can make it the less wheelie you're going to get just making sure you don't have a lot of spin or a lot okay. of slide 
the slides will be more predictable to you. And some people say, oh, but is, does it make the bike hard to turn? We've, we've never found that, at least not with our Yamahas, that a longer bike doesn't really affect how the bike turns. Well, because of all those other factors that were changed too. I mean, if it was just the one thing, maybe, right? Yes. Uh, the, center, the center of gravity on our bike's been shifted to compensate for the length of the bike. Right. Yeah, so uh, with the fuel tank design and all that stuff. Well, so your swing you, arm's quite a bit longer than the OEM swing. Than OEM, yeah. It's quite a bit, I'm not going to get into how long it is, but it is longer. So is the World Survey. the World Survey bike. So usually, I'd say, 25 to 50 millimeters longer. Than Drag top. bike long. <laughs> uh, they're kind of looking that way, right? You look at the MotoGP right. bikes, they're low and long, right? Yeah. They can put down so much power. So you think about it. You know, those guys are using, uh, you know, ride height control to get the bike low and long. And, and uh, when you get the bike long, you get rid of some of that swing arm slope. Uh, when you when you when you squat the bike, you get rid of some of the swing arm slope, and the bike goes longer and lower, so it's a double whammy. Yeah, and it changes the angle of the wing for those guys, and it's it's even a triple whammy. So they have quite a few tricks up their sleeve with that right height control. Angle of the wing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so the 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 length of the swing arm uh, is something that we we try to work at almost right away. You know, okay. So define define the most amount of grip versus wheelie. So you can make it super long and maybe it'll spin more, but when it, when it does that, you can come back and you can change your, maybe your shock ride height. So that's another adjustment you have. Like yours is 319, let's say with that linkage that we have. Right. Uh, and you can go, let's say 321. And if you go 321, you're going to see here that your swing arm angle is gone up a little bit. So you start off at 11.59 versus 1209. Right. And also the, uh, when you raise the front of the bike, your swing arm slope goes up too. So right. a lot of people understand that changing the right height of the bike actually affects the swing arm angle. So for instance, since we're talking about the rear, we can also talk about the front because all kind of works together. So if I zero that out, you can see that I've gone from 1209 or whatever it was to 1227. So, so this is an important number too because that relates to what we call the anti-squat which right. is this percentage here 116 okay so oh, the stock wow. bike had 112 so that means that the swing arm always wants to push against the ground a little bit more but it also might mean that it doesn't have a real predictable slide and that's when electronics come into play to help okay. the traction control and make the bikes so uh, at the end you know we'll, we'll try to make a bike that might be a little bit nervous on the exit but we'll calm it down with a bunch of electronics that so makes somebody sense. saying that the that that k2t2 guy is saying that uh the new cbr rr or whatever um, yeah stock yeah says it's he says it's uh 625. yeah i believe it they're kind of all going that direction yeah yeah it's got a lot of power too you know so bikes used to be small now they're getting longer and lower and faster and more powerful and until they quit making them and they'll all be more, electric. way more wings yeah more wings so the the uh, again the shock is an important part and with this program you can see the percentage here adjusted so we went back to 319 right we do a, a ridiculous change and we go to 325 and um we've gone down to 118 we've gone to 118 percent 100 uh, theoretically should be where the where when you add the power the bike doesn't squat or extend 
Okay. But honestly, I we've never run around a hundred. You know, it's oh. always more. It's always trying to extend the rear because because you have a center of gravity that's working it. You can call it, I guess you can call it the moment of inertia where the thing's trying to pivot around the rear axle. So the um, the anti squat. So you have quite a bit of bit of mass back there trying to compress the suspension. And you have the engine chain that's trying to extend the suspension. So you're trying to balance that out into, yeah. uh, along with the grip. If your grip is low, you can play around with, with uh, your shock height and spring rates to compensate and try to get some of that back. So here we are at 319. Yeah. And um, so back to kind of where you're at now. This is this is your bike versus stock. Right. So the, then the next the next thing you can you can uh, play around with is is your spring rate. And if you look at the rear forces, so the rear force, you can see here, you're, you're running a hundred, hundred Newton spring, right? I think, uh, I think we might have a 110 on there. Okay. One, let's go 105 for your average guy. Um, 105 always seemed to be hundred to 105 seems to work pretty decent. But if you're, if you're a little bit longer in the swing arm, then yeah, I can see where you could get to 110. But you can see with your particular linkage that you actually have more force than the stock than the stock bike with even 100. So even if you go to 100, so if we change this linkage back to stock, you can say you can see that with with the um, with the uh, wheelbase extended your bike is actually softer than stock mm. so as you change your wheelbase you can see here in this particular program that hey you know what if i have a stock linkage and i run the spring arm all the way long my bike's gonna be soft so i really need to go back and adjust the spring rate so this is a, one of the things that you can this tool does you'll be back okay i got to go up to 105 with a long wheelbase versus stock so you have to go up go up five newtons so that cra jesse guy is like wondering if there's a reason why the stock R1s have a shorter swing arm length than is optimal for racing. And he says he's still, quote, suffering with the old stock one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, hard to say, you know, what the reasoning was for that. I think just the evolution of the bike. And I'm not, I don't, I don't even know the reason why they left that web in the back. You know, the one that everyone wants so to cut. So we could cut it out. Yeah, so you could get into the file and, you know, waste a couple hours of your time. Yeah, I grinder, yeah, you know, yeah. but longer has definitely been better with this particular motorcycle, but you have to be conscious of what type of linkage you have. And when I say linkage, I mean, I mean, this thing here, you know, so this is the rock. Yeah. Bar. And then uh, this, uh, this yeah, I love the show and tell, yeah. man. I love the yeah, show well, tell. you know, it's better to show and sometimes than tell. But anyways, that's the linkage. And over here, you have your three points that we talked about before, right? Right. And you can change these distances in this program and kind of see where where the curves are affected, like total force and the, and the rising rate. And this is, a, this is what they call a pull rod. That's kind of like what they call a dog bone. Yeah, that's a dog bone, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, if you give your dog some of this aluminum, I think he'd have no teeth left. Yeah. So it's a pull rod. It pulls, it's a linkage rod, whatever you want to call it. So it has bearings on both sides. You can make these things different lengths. Some some bikes have an adjustable one where you can change the length of this thing. We use a fixed one. And uh, because this thing here, when you adjust it, is very, very sensitive. You turn it just a tiny bit, 
and it makes a big change. So it's really hard for the suspension guys with this particular deal to make it adjustable. And just a little quarter turn on the wrench makes a gigantic change. So I don't like an adjustable one of these. I'd rather change the shock height, even though it's a little bit more work. So, so that's that's the way. This is one of the factory rock arms. This is a different one, different styles. You can see it's a little bit longer, bigger, and yeah. I mean, this one takes two pull rods like that. Oh wow! Okay. And, and, and this is kind of, I think, similar to what you have nearby, right? So you can get to yeah. the you get to the shock bolt without taking the pull rod off. That's correct. Yeah. So anyway, so in the program you can. So that's the next thing that's adjustable is the linkage on the rear. Sorry. I said some guy made it for me. You know. Yeah, some guy. So on this on this particular program, uh, there's there's that you can see the linkage and what the rising rate of linkage is and that we're talking about uh so we're talking about you go to wheel of shock here and what this curve shows you is the leverage ratio that the that the wheel has on the shock so it starts off at two to one with that with this this particular bike right because the wheelbase is longer right so now it has more leverage on the on the shock and that's why you have to run a, a stiffer spring. And with a okay. stiffer spring, you actually, on the damping side, you need to up, upgrade your damping as well, just to have something that's a little firmer than stock. You know, so right now with a 105 and a stock link, uh, you're you're just about the same as a stock motorcycle. Hmm. Yeah, so just by changing your wheelbase. So you change your wheelbase, you gotta go up on spring rate. So, right. this, so this, that's what this, the beauty of this tool is, you can see everything in action. You don't have to guess and go, well, I, I changed my sprocket. I made the bike a little bit longer and now I won't go around the corner. Oh, it must be the length of the bike that's making it hard to turn. No, you're probably soft and the bike's okay. probably getting squatted. And it's probably uh, changing the CG of the bike and stuff turning so good. So uh, anyway, you can also do stuff like change a preload. And now you've gotten some more force out of the thing. You maybe go back to 100 spring again. And so now you're a little stiffer in the initial part, a little softer in this part. So right. I kind of like, let's say go back to the 105 with 12. Okay. So then on your bike, like I said, we we played around with the linkage, and we we ha and now we have this linkage that what we call uh, this this particular part number here. So this linkage is brought a little closer with a, with a big swing arm, with a longer swing arm, a little right. closer. But it's giving me some more force to the bottom, a little more speed. So as the, as the thing, as uh, this will make the shock go run a little faster. So that means it makes the damping a little more effective. So with the same damping curve, just by changing the linkage, you basically made yourself a stiffer shock without right. changing the uh, without changing the shock itself because you change the leverage ratio. And you can see the force curve on the rear has gone way up as well. So you may want to end up going back to 100, let's say. Hmm. Depends on what you're shooting for, and you know the beauty of this is you can save this file, and then you could look at it later. Say, man, I really like the way this bike feels, and if I change my swing arm length, what I end up with, and I like to put it back. So there's many examples of different things you change. So uh, along with the swing arm slope, you can, on on bikes like ours, where it's a super bike, you can change another show and tell swing arm pivots. Oh, the new so, cups. Cups. Yes, another cup with a hole in it and no handle. These are right. horrible cups. So, uh, yeah, terminology is everything over here, I guess. You know, average spring race, we don't call these cups, we call them inserts. So these pivot inserts, this one's a zero. So it starts off at stock location, right? 
Then you can go to, this is a three. You see how it's a little higher, or you can flip it around and make it come down, and that's a little bit lower. So that's a three. And this is the way the back looks. This is where the nut side goes. See okay. And this side's where they, where the actual, the head of the pivot bolt goes through. So what, in order to, like, what would you need to do? It was a five. <clears throat> what would you need to yeah. do to your frame in order to make that adjustment work on the R1? So on, on the R1, we actually have a service uh, that we do uh, where we machine the pivot hole itself, and then we supply these guys. So oh. the, all the R1s, I do believe, that are running in our series have this, have this set up. Okay. You know, in, in Europe, they cut out the whole pivot because it's allowed uh, in the rules, and they put a machine piece in there. It's a little bit more work. There's enough material there to be able to machine it out. So we machine it out, and then we supply some collars and inserts and a new pivot bolt and, and uh, nut and stuff, right? Hmm. So that gives you the ability to adjust the pivot. And again, with a pivot, this is the area right here where it says swing arm pivot up, down, positive up. So you can go here, and you can go, let's say you go full range, five millimeters up. So if, once you change the pivot, you can see all of a sudden, now you have a much stiffer motorcycle. And on top of that, on top of that, you've also changed your anti-squat. We were down in the teens before. Now we're like 122. We've got 10% more anti-squat on this bike by changing right. that pivot. So as you move the pivot up, the swing arm wants to open harder. You know, it wants to come down even more as you accelerate away. Okay. And with some tracks, low grip tracks, sometimes that works. Sometimes at high grip tracks like Laguna after the repave, sometimes that's a that doesn't work because it shoves the front, pushes the front. We had that issue at Laguna uh, in that triple header thing that we had. Uh, and everybody was getting excessive front tire wear. And everyone was, was complaining about closing the front. The front would close, meaning that the bars would turn in on the exit and it would start to shove the front. Because the rear tire had so much grip, we were running the hardest tires they made. And the track was so grippy that you could give a full throttle leaned over and all it would do is just push the front tire, you know? So it's like a, you know, like a, I use the Porsche example, you know, those things have such big tires in the back, they just shove the front tire all the time. If you don't drive them properly. So what you do in that circumstance is you may bring your, your pivot back down and now you've gone down to one fourteen. flipping the cup upside down or would the you cup? just put the smaller? Yeah. Down. I'm going to flip the cup upside down. No, you can just go back to a zero insert like this. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you go five back to zero, and now you've lowered your pivot. So what happens when you lower your pivot? It allows the tire to spin a little more on the exit, so you can do a little rear steer and take some of the load off the front. Okay. So, you, so you've kind of exchanged some of the wear off the front tire to the rear by being able to adjust your pivot. So these are, these are the tools that make make what we do much easier being able to change a pivot instead of going through and reinventing the whole motorcycle by changing all the spring rates and damping and lowering the thing. Now you got to change the front, uh, to, uh, to be able to steer. You know, so my, my MO normally is go for the rear first and try to get the most amount of grip and then make sure the bike is balanced and turns well for the rider. And this, this tool here is pretty, pretty instrumental when it comes to that. So once again, like a three millimeter up is pretty common. You'll see that in our paddock quite a bit. 
three millimeter up. Sometimes you get to a track, like I said, like Laguna, you might want to go minus two. You go completely the other way, but you can see it changes the force too, because it changes how the linkage works. When that, when that swing arm pivot goes up and down, it actually changes how the, how the linkage works. So having a tool like this is almost mandatory to be able to figure out where you're at. Again, let's just say, let's copy the, let's copy the chassis three over to here. So I've copied chassis three over to cha chassis two department there. So let's just say that I'm at five and yeah. I want to go to zero, right? Yeah. And let's, let's go ahead and turn off chassis one because that thing's stock. We're not riding a stock motorcycle. So you have your two forces here and then you got your linkage. Let's just worry about the forces themselves. So let's look at these lines here. You go, well, all I'm doing right now is I copy the whole chassis over. All I'm doing is changing the pivot. And I noticed now the chassis two, it, because it's five up, I'm going to go from five to zero. Chassis three is much softer. Mm. You know, so just by changing the pivot, I've softened the motorcycle. So I've had a double whammy. I've not only taken away some some uh, anti-squat, I went from 122 to 114. So I've taken away some anti-squat. By the way, I think it'd be pretty pretty difficult to run a five positive pivot with that short of a swing arm, a 602 swing arm. Okay. If you were 625 or 630, you could do it. But with a six, 602 or or so, you're probably going to be hard pressed to make that work unless you have a really soft spring. But anyway, let's get into the dynamics of things. So back to this, we have a five up and compared to zero. So you can take this tool, you go, well, let's look at the ride heights. Let's look at swing arm angle. So let's look at anti-squat. Anti-squat's kind of an important one. So swing arm, to, swing arm angle's actually gone down to 11.8. It's actually pretty low, you know, but let's, yeah, okay. let's, let's just look at the force. I just want to make the thing balance the middle of the corner, right? So right yeah. now I've softened the back. So the bike's taken some of the, some of the mass and shifted the rear, the CG in the middle of the corner, because you have balance of forces in the middle of the corner. The front's going to take a certain amount of load. The rear's going to take a certain amount of load. You soften the rear, the bike's going to go bias the rear, right? It's going to squat a little more. Yeah. So you can go back here and go, well, if I want to run that pivot, I'm going to go up on the spring rate. I'm going to go up five. Oh, okay. So when you do the pivot, slam a spring in it at the same time. And so you show up the racetrack, you go, well, I, I know I was at Laguna last year and they had a lot of grip. Uh, and so potentially I'm going to push the front tire. I'm going to wear it out again. Uh, I'm going to try to pivot down. So I want to, during one of the sessions, I'll have the pivots ready and I'll have my shock ready with another shock ready with a, with a five Newton more. So I get the same balance and the uh, same force uh, so I can just test pivot only and not the whole thing. Oh, okay. You, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And then you can look at some of this stuff too, like the front end. What happened in the front end? Well, I went from just by changing that pivot, I went from 24.18 to 24.30. So I've actually gained a little bit of trail too. Not much, like a millimeter. Right. Probably won't feel much, but might be a little bit might be a feeling you get. You might go, you know what, that 105 pivot down and a little bit more trail, maybe it carves the corner a little better. So so you can show up the next race. And, you, and this is something that you don't have to do right away. These are all, if you're keeping notes, you can put all the information in this program before you show up the racetrack and come up with a plan as to how to approach a certain situation. Hmm. So what have we addressed? We've addressed the, the, uh, 
the swing arm length, the shock length, the spring rate, you know, the preload. And then there's other things like the top out spring. And then you got a linkage here. And then of course your tires make a big difference as well. Right. And these are the results here that you always look at you know, your, your uh, rake. These are some pretty common results. The rake, your trail number, they're, they're kind of tied together. That's why he's got them in, in this area here. Uh, rake and trail, you can, that kind of flows, right? You hear that a lot, rake and trail. Well, rake, rake has uh, three components. So you got your offset, which is up here. And we've talked about it before. And then you have your tire diameter. And, and then you have your uh, uh, rake angle, which you can adjust with your steering axis if you have an adjustable steering head. Anyway, so this is this is the way you can go about making sure that any change you make on your motorcycle, you can you can just isolate that change only and not get yourself you know go down a rabbit hole and go, oh man, I put that pivot in there, or I changed my spring, and now my bike's all screwed up. You know, you end up getting yeah, your bike all apart. You're changing everything. Everything. Small everything. parts until it works. Yeah, and then. Uh, same thing with the sprockets, right? So if you go down here, this the sprocket has got a big big deal to do with the rear. So let's just say we do a 43 sprocket instead of the 41. And now you can see here, let's go back to uh, 41. So your anti-sprock number right now is 115.6. You go to a 41 sprocket and your anti-squat went down. Hmm. So the smaller sprocket actually makes the bike want to squat more hmm. it doesn't have as much anti-squat so even changing a sprocket you could get lost if you're really sensitive usually one tooth won't make a difference a couple teeth two three teeth you go when we used to go to infineon race we used to run these gigantic sprockets because the track that's what the track required and uh same with laguna we run a pretty big sprocket laguna like the 45 or something like that really? maybe even 46 yeah because we go first through six down the straightaway Mm. Up over the rise, you know, so we're going all the way to sixth gear, and it just it just works out well for the flow of the racetrack. We're not running real small sprockets, and so that changes your anti squat. Your anti squat goes goes way down, you know, if you run a run a forty five, let's say, for that same wheelbase. You know, you're, I'm sorry, anti squat goes up when you got a big sprocket. So anti squat, the anti squat goes up. Yeah, hold on, see here. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so. so you go to 45 and your anti-squat went up to 116. Yeah. Okay. So these are all things that you could, you could, uh, you could work with on the rear to make the bike feel the same from track to track, let's say. So let's just say you went to a 45 and now your, your anti-squat went to 116 and you were at 114. So you can go back and you could, you could lower your, you could lower your bike or you can maybe go back and put, another pivot in there, you know, so let's just say you go to a one. Now you got a 118. So maybe you want to go a minus one. <laughs> 115, right? Yeah. And look at your forces over here too, and make sure that your, your load on the, on the front and rear are balanced. So these are all kinds of things that you could do with the rear of the motorcycle to make just by any situation comfortable for the rider. Yeah. Well, I've got some questions coming in. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's see. John K. Uh, asks, how does the swing arm angle slash anti-squat actually work to affect grip? And what's the ideal? 
Like his suspension guy uses moto spec. Give me the actual numbers to shoot for, please. <laughs> it's really hard to say. Like I said, it depends on the type of tire, the asphalt you have, and what type of what type of sliding the bike is doing. <clears throat> so it's it and and it, there's a lot of factors. You really have to you have to try some some stuff. A lot of empirical data you have to collect. Like how does the guy sit on the bike, and so where's the center of gravity? How hot? How heavy is he? You know, all that, the anti-squat works against that center of gravity. So the center of gravity is one of the components of anti-squat. So if you look at, uh, let's say, back to the chassis, let's forget about this wheel shock thing. You go back to the chassis. So the anti-squat actually goes through the center of gravity and then intersects with these lines. Right. See so as you change the center of gravity, it also changes the anti-squat number. So this, this center of gravity that Jeff... Uh, Jeff provides with a software, that's basically an educated guess. You know, it isn't it, because he doesn't have the rider mass. The rider is such a big, important part of it. it doesn't have the fuel tank design or whatever it is. That's why when we did, when we were in New Jersey, he, we, we ran through an exercise with him where uh, Jake was sitting on top, on top of the bike and it was doing like the wheelie. The garage wheelies. Yeah, yeah, garage wheelies and all that. So we measured all the anti-squat with full tank. And our tank is different. Our tank puts a lot of the fuel back under the seat, so it changes the mass to the rear to compensate for our long swing arm. Right. So there's a lot of things that go into what's the right anti-squat number for you. You know. So once you, the the most important thing is to know what where you're at by utilizing the software, utilizing someone who uses the software to know where you're at. Maybe his guy can give him a printout when he's really happy with the bike. You know, so then when he goes and changes the yeah. stuff, you follow what I'm saying? He gives a yeah. little chat for now. Go, yeah, you know what? We ran 122 anti-squat last weekend. Are you really happy with that? Um, we ran at 114, and you were just slipping and sliding all over the place. Or we ran at you know, 125, and, and the bike was real snappy on the exits and wanted to high side you or whatever. Yeah. So that's something that each rider motorcycle has to kind of come to, come to task with. You can't really say, this is the... The sweet numbers, the sweet numbers, you know, sweet numbers. But yeah, I'd say a swing arm slope around twelve to thirteen degrees is a good starting point. This guy here is eleven seven. I'd say that's pretty small. Yeah. You know, stock is usually pretty, pretty easy to ride. You know, it's it, a stock bike with short wheelbase, feels nimble. You know, uh, easy to ride, easy to change direction, all those kinds of things. Not a whole lot of a lot of anti-squat, so if it does slide, it's pretty predictable, but it's not really the fast way around a racetrack. Okay. Yeah. Um, AFM12 says, um, do you rely mostly on rider feedback to understand the chassis changes, or is, do you have like a process that you go through with the data and the rider data, you know, the rider feedback to understand <laughs> what changes are working? Yeah, process 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 without a doubt and so uh, we would show up the racetrack and we would have something in moto spec that we know worked last go around like this year was a, a little bit more of a challenge because the tires changed so much we thought they were going to be from winter testing you know the, the first prototypes we rode were completely different okay and i think everyone in the paddock would say it, that that's true and somewhere between prototype and production something changed and no matter what dunlop says about it didn't change it did change. That sounds and, familiar. Yeah, nothing changed, all the same. 
you know, nothing to see here, folks. Move along. And uh, so we show up the race and not not really struggling, but didn't get that same wow moment. And also the way the carcass was built on that tire, the uh, it didn't seem to generate as much heat on the rubber itself. So it took longer for the tire to come in. Mm. But at the same time, it didn't drop off as quickly, right? So you'll see some of the fast laps were at the end, not in the beginning, you know, or in the middle of the race. Okay. So the tire did change, and, and I, I do believe the spring rate of the tire changed as well. So that affected how we went about with a swing arm pivot and the torque that we put to the engine and all that, because we can adjust the torque of the engine with the Morelli. And so that, that also has a, has a big part to do with the swing arm slope and the anti-squat and all those things, like how much torque do you actually put to the bike? and how much power are you putting on there to extend the swing arm or to, to uh yeah extend the suspension so it's it's uh yeah so there, there's definitely a process going on there with with uh show up with a set, setting you know based on what we have here and then have the rider go out do a long run and see what he says how the tire wear looks and all that okay yeah i've seen those meetings you know i've seen those little powwow sesh that you guys yeah. have and have a track map out and he's like well you know you're like writing notes on the shit that he says and then you look at the data and you're like oh right here yeah yeah okay boom and then whatever it is and then you say something to the crew like hey change that that and that whatever or you box with john for a little bit and then they yeah whatever. yeah john and i we box a little bit and say i want to do this and i say no we're going to do this instead because you're an idiot i say he's an idiot and then we then we shake hands and make an adjustment. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Like a Rochambeau situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paper, scissors, rocks. Yeah. You, let's do that adjustment. We've also done where where he's gone one direction, we've gone a, a different direction for the same solution. Okay. And then compare notes and look at data afterwards as well. So that's the beauty of having two two riders. I think any superbike team that wants to run at the top, the front really needs to have two comparable riders because you can get so much more work done that way uh, on the short sessions we have our sessions are pretty pretty short compared to world Superbike. bike we don't have that many sessions ahead the sessions are short i think we do 100 kilometers less a weekend than world oh, wow. Superbike does. yeah that's that's quite a bit yeah yeah um that k2 t2 guy wants to know does do the smoother tracks like progressive linkages Smoother tracks um, depends depends if, if this G'd out or not, and depends on how the front end's working on that smooth track. Like uh, more, we've gone more progressive with uh, with the link that we made for the for your bike, because the the R1, for instance, is a pretty linear linkage stock, so it's a pretty friendly motorcycle, pretty linear. So you get in a big bump, it doesn't kick back very hard. But at the same time, if you're, if you're at a smooth high grip track, if it's a smooth low grip track, then that could be different. You may want to lower the wheel rate so you can get a little more bite out of the thing. But a smooth high grip track, yeah, you could probably go more, more progression. Progression is going to give you more damping at the bottom of the stroke versus spring rate. You know, so it's a balancing act between damping and spring with the linkage. So the character of the link changes that. Okay. Okay. And then, um, like how often are you guys, uh, hover speed says, how often are you guys changing springs versus changing valving? 
more springs than valving. Okay. Yeah, the valving seems we we kind of go into an area where see the the reason is the valving is is um, is is speed related. Uh, in other words, time related, where the springs are are more the forces we're looking at here. So okay. like say like a track like Laguna Seca where it was so smooth that the suspension was hardly even moving. The valving was doing nothing other than let's say up over the rise or on the brakes for pitching. You know, you get a little bit of the valving in there, but a lot of times you can change the clickers and the rider wouldn't even feel it. Because he's feeling okay. the track is so smooth, there's no bumps. But right. other tracks where the where the bumps are pretty harsh, let's say Brainerd, you may have to go back and look at the comp valving and, and try to try to absorb some of the bumps a little deeper in the stroke. So you may have to balance out how you do the springs and the and the damping. So smooth tracks, the damping doesn't play as big a as big a role. But uh, for sure, a place like Brainerd, it's a challenge. So uh, 27 Motorsports says, um, what's critical in the setup to make the bike, quote, hook into the corner during the last maybe 10 to 20 percent of, of corner entry? I think I think the rider's use of the brakes. <laughs> you know, so with that comes uh, having the that's more of a front end question. Oh, you know, it does have something to do with the anti-squat too, because anti-squat works also when you're decelerating or accelerating in the negative direction, let's say. We call it deceleration sometimes. I don't know if that's a real word. It's always acceleration in physics. But anyway, so if your acceleration is is, is uh, slowing the bike, then um, the, the chain pulling on it in the other direction could also affect how the bike uh, steers going into the corner. So there's a little bit of play with the anti-squat with the turn in. So when you do change a pivot, I've heard this before, you change a pivot and the guy says, I don't like the way it's, the bike is stopping. Hmm. You know, the grip is good, but I don't like the way the bike is stopping. So you may have to go make another change. And uh, so the, the trail number, I think, is one of those things. Or we, I think we went over this already with the front yeah, setting. You said something about Bovier, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was the the straight line braking where yeah. the, he couldn't pull the lever hard enough because the springs are too soft. But uh, without a doubt, it's getting the position of the forks where the guy wants and how much trail he has. So this this program does that too, where you come in, you can go, okay, well, I'm going to go mid corner of braking braking position, and you can okay. see where your your, your rate goes down to twenty on your particular yeah. motorcycle. So you can see what happens. The the forks compress, right? Your rate gets steeper. You know, yeah. your pivot goes down and your trail number goes down to 84. So if you say, man, the thing is really nervous on the on the entry and I don't feel like uh, holding the brake on, I need longer to get the apex. You know, it, it could be the tire. could be you don't, you're not running enough air pressure in the tire. There's a bunch of other factors that go into it. But you can you can go back and you can maybe raise the spring rate to get some of your trail back. So um, there's there's also in here forces. So you can actually end up with uh, doing a custom setting where you put in a certain amount of force. If you if you know what your forces are like, you got some data and you go at, at this particular position. You can back look at the software. You go, I have this much force, so I can put in force. Oh, okay. I'll tell you what your position is. Where your position should be. Even though it's dynamic, this is a snapshot in time. But even yeah. though it's a dynamic situation, you'll see, okay, with this big amount of force, I'll be at this position. 
So then you can go back and maybe add force to take out force to get maybe the trail number you want to be able to, uh, something that, that you feel. And you have to just ride the motorcycle and go, okay, you know what, change something and, and learn. But it, it's hard to learn when you don't know what you're changing. So that's, that's, a, that's the beauty of having a program like this to where you can make a change, you can document the change, you can save it, and you can come back and look at it later and go, yeah, you know what, I really like that setting or I like that, that position. So I, I, let's say I went down to, I don't know, 22 millimeters of offset, and now I've gone up on my trail number on the brakes or uh, mid-corner, let's say. I'm at 21, 21, 483. So if I go back to 25 offset, I go down to 80. So that, you know, I, I don't feel great at 80 millimeters of trail. I'd rather have, uh, you know, this 22 offset, I'd rather have the 83 millimeters of trail. Right on. So those are the kinds of numbers which, which uh, are important to know. Uh, once you find a setting you really like, and then and then you can keep trying to from track to track, or or even from weekend to weekend, if you change the type of rubber you have, or sprockets, or whatever, you try something different. You can go right. back and emulate what you do. Uh, we use we use this program a lot for trying to make our bike consistent, you know, and and trying to uh, make sure that if we have we do a change, we know how much of a change we've made across the whole motorcycle. So that's 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 the idea. It's even with the amount of experience that John and I have, and Marshall as well, to be able to put a number to the change we make and see what it does across all the settings. You know, the the rake trail, your ride heights, your CG, all these different numbers here. Super important to be able to know that. It's a lot, dude. It's a lot, but you know what? Once you get into it, it's like anything else. You know, you can play yeah. a video game and go man i'm getting my butt kicked all the time i don't i don't get it and uh it turns out that you know you just need to practice more or, or you learn just need the cheat codes you need the cheat codes yeah <laughs> never the cheat codes man that's cheating <laughs> cheat codes okay so let's see here um uh matt vorst um is asking if uh shock link is calculated with the shock stretching tool Yes. Or in its resting position. No, shock stretched always. Okay. Because the bike tops out against, uh, so you have a top out spring. That's one thing we didn't talk about. Okay. So, which is also part of the force, the forces. Uh, let me turn off the chassis so it's a little easier to have a look at that. So, you have a top out spring, and we talked about it with a, with a rate, rear rate. So, you can see when the, on, Let's just look at one motorcycle so it's easier to look at. So you can see where, where when the shock is extending this way, coming down, hits that top out spring, also you get this gigantic jump in rate. Okay, that's just like that's just like the shock throwing the brakes on. It's topping out, topping out. Imagine you're going, you're going for the brakes and the shock's starting to top out. It happens pretty quick, but this is what happens. It, it hits that top out spring and all of a sudden the acceleration of the shock changes. And this okay. is what the rate, the rate change is. So you end up with a, a difference in rate because of the way that the uh, the slope of this angle is going down. And so the rate is the rate is how many newtons it takes to make that next millimeter of jump. Let's say. So if you're if you're going up against the top out spring, it's slowing down really fast. 
to the rate changes. It's, it's pretty confusing, the rate, the rate graph. So yeah. I really don't like to talk about the rate graph that much, but it's something to kind of understand how the top out spring works. So right. this, this knee here is where the top out spring engages. So this is another thing that we, we play around with quite a bit. Let's just say we go a little soft out, softer top out spring and let's bring bike two back. And we'll go back to 105 Newtons on this one. Actually, let's just copy, copy bike two over. And that way it's everything to save. I don't have to chase after it. Okay, so bike two and So these are all now both the same. And uh, let's just say we go uh, 188 back to bike two. Now you can see where, see this right here? Yeah. Where that's changed. That's the very top, top of the spring. That's really in a braking zone where the back end is, is kind of floating. And that will either pick up the rear tire more or let it extend up against the top of the shock. So, but to get the exact shock length, you want to stretch it to know where that extension is. And so that's what this, that's what this number is. It's always fully stretched, extended. You don't have to have a shock structure. You can just put a bunch of preload in the thing. Usually it's about a millimeter or two. We can put a bunch of preload in the, in the spring itself and then take it back off to figure out what that shock length is if you really don't have a stretching tool. But a stretching tool is pretty handy. You can stretch a shock. Sometimes you just factor in about a millimeter, millimeter and a half, and you know where your shock length is depending on the top out spring. So uh, you could also go with, uh, you know, a really soft top out spring, let's say 100. Yeah. And you can, you can see where, where the, uh, this actually affects also how the bike drives because it'll want the anti-squat will work a little bit easier against the top out spring. Not saying oh. a soft top out's the way to go, but if you want a little more anti-squat, you don't have a pivot, pivot capability, you could have to change your top out. So when the bike's driving, you don't have that spring holding the bike down. Right. Okay. Or you can add preload. So you can come in here and you can, you can also go a bunch of preload. So, um, Proto says, uh, when you guys went to Europe and you know, everyone was breaking later into turn one. Yeah. Uh, what did you guys do in the geometry to help Jake feel better about breaking farther into the corner? I think we didn't do anything to help him with it. I mean, I know that the, the, the that race all up. That's what I think. Yeah. You know, the Superbike Sherpa had a chat with them and uh, yeah. they got all spiritual and got the incense out and everything and had like yeah. a seance. Okay. And th that's how it works, right? Yeah. I think we could have used one of those at, at Portimao last year, but uh, the, the, the biggest problem was that, that, uh, we had set up Jake to be a solo racer, you know, run away on the throttle, lots of grip, didn't really have to fight with anyone, you know, the whole year. And then we go to Portimao and there's like 21 Jakes on the racetrack, right? And now he's, he's going to have to fight on the brakes as well as the gas. So our, our drive coming on that front straight was really good. It was actually better than, than Locatelli's on the data, the data that we got. So, uh, where we were where we were off is we just never worked on jake's braking game with a proper setup for the brakes like those guys do and yeah. the front tire even though we tested for a day or two on the front tire we just never had that same same comp competition it's not the same when you're when you're testing alone versus testing with a group of guys and you go wow we're losing a lot of time 
I think we lost the second and a half and the second or second and a half in the first sector, which is mainly turn one and two, you know, where all the time was. It was all on the ground. Yeah. So I, I, I have a feeling if, if, if we ever get the opportunity to go back again, we've improved that quite a bit this last year, the breaking game, because A, the, the Dunlop front tire was, was just much better for being able to break leaned over. That's one thing I think they've, they've improved. And we've, we've uh, because we've had the competition of Bovier, who's really good on the brakes, and other guys as well that are pretty strong on the brakes, we've, been, we've improved our motorcycle on the brakes as well. Hmm. I think we'd be better better suited to go back again than we were when we went there. So there's actually a couple of comments related to the same thing. Um, yeah. I'm just going to give credit where credit's due, right? Um, yeah. Um, Andre Castanos and then John Kay both are kind of mentioning this. But yeah. basically, um, Andre Castanos' question is, tire wear a big indicator if the suspension is correct for your setup? And then John Kay says he's so skeptical of the, quote, reading the, the tea leaves of tire wear to diagnose suspension issues. And I swear I'll be so upset and disappointed if that turns out to be true. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, Dave Moss used to do that thing where he's like, okay, mate, the, you know, the tire, you got to read the tire, you know? Yeah. That's that's yeah. my Dave Moss, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I get you. The 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 asphalt has a big big to do with a tire. Okay. You know, so uh, like for instance at at Laguna, I keep pointing to that because that was a track where it would just chew the crap out of tires. When we first tested there, we didn't think we could go race distance. You know, the track was so new. Yeah. And we went there for that one day half day test, the emergency test that we had, because they were all freaked out about even having the event. If you recall all that, yeah, yeah, the cars yeah. beat up the track, and yeah, the car guys they had an event on fire and the track, yeah, yeah they, they they canceled a jillion dollar car event, and I think they also canceled some tests. Some guys from I guess India flew into to do, and they canceled those guys out, and they spent a bunch of money, and uh, we were lucky to get that event off, but it was it was so hard on rubber, so I'd say that the asphalt has a lot to do with it. But also, we were chewing up front tires like crazy because of that push we had. So the chassis dynamics, you know, what we're able to do with the chassis dynamics to improve our front tire. I think our front tire looked the best of the bikes that were on the podium. You know, so uh, it's not necessarily damping, let's say, or spring race, but we haven't been that far off on our chassis to say, wow, we're really, we're really screwed up on, this, on, this, on our damping and spring race, and that's why our tires are wearing. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's more the, the asphalt and how hard you run on the bike. A lot of times, guys that aren't really fast will chew up tires because they don't get enough heat in the rubber. So if they're on the wrong compound, let's say, mm. and they don't get enough heat in the tire, they'll cold tear the tires. And then uh, that happens a lot in some of the first sessions. And as the weekend goes on, the tires look better and better and better just because the guys get to, get to it right away and get some heat in that tire right away so the rubber works a little better. Hmm. So it isn't always a suspension suspension thing, but it, it does, the dynamics do play quite a bit, quite a role with how you load the tires. Okay. Yeah, if I didn't answer anything. Actually, I mean, it, it's like, uh, you know, the, I, I've never once seen you guys look at the tires and go, yeah, man, we need a, we need a bunch of rebound. You know, like I've never, I've never seen I've, any of you guys like quote unquote reading the tires. 
we just look at the wear to see how the tires are wearing. And if we're getting a lot of wear on the tire, we might change compounds. Okay. Because usually we have a balance of the bike that we're happy with. It will, will make the tire get to where we want to be, uh, unless it's the track is the issue, which we've had that quite a bit. You know, Barber, uh, when they first repaved that, that thing was eating tires like crazy. We had to run the hardest tires they had. And then with that, had to come a chassis change to make the bike work with the harder tires. Same in Laguna, same at Road America. So here's a funny comment. This is from Davey Stone. I don't know if you remember that guy. But he says, screw it. I'm just going to write Richie a check and have him set up the bike at each track for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you're Richie. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could, I could uh, do more work with the racetrack, but my time's pretty, pretty impacted when I get there. Right, right. Yeah. But if someone's got questions, I mean, they're, they're free to come by and, and ask, you know, especially if it's a Yamaha rider we can we're always there to help out i mean i called you i called you while i was at podium club right yeah <laughs> i was like hey yeah that's awesome yeah. what i do i go keep riding don't be a pussy basically yeah but i you know i did i i, I started the weekend off with like uh i want to say an sc1 yeah and um i trashed the rear tire in like yeah. three sessions and i went up to an sc3 and the thing was you know just changed compound it was fine that track surface pretty abrasive yeah so yeah so so again i think i think it's a lot to do with pressures track surface and uh some somewhere you're just not going to be able to fix with a clicker or rebound or whatever or damping change and and all those changes could really throw your balance way off on the motorcycle and you may not be comfortable and go down a rabbit hole that's why it's really important to have tools like this to be able to uh to uh, figure out where you're at and where you're going to go and be able to come back to where you were, where you were before. Right. Right. Um, any comments on, this is that K2 guy again. Um, any comments on your experience on the, on decarbon versus TTX versus through rod architecture shocks? Uh, we ran a through rod on a CRT bike that we had an Olin's through rod. And we also ran the TTX and we run the RSP 40 and we've used the, uh, RVP, which is what world through bikes. We tested with that. So it's just oil going through a hole, you know, <laughs> I knew you were going to say the oil through the whole thing, man. I was waiting uh, for it. You know, change the size of the hole. You get different amounts of oil to come through there. <laughs> it's about it. I mean, it just everyone wants to make such a big fuss over it. I, I do know that you run out of range with some of the smaller shocks, like a TTX 36. I don't think we could run it anymore because our, our, our because of the length of the spring arm, the linkage, and we have to we have to deal with stock chassis. We can't change the linkage pivot position, so we can't change the leverage ratio that much. So we're always fighting certain things in the linkage geometry to be able to make the shock move fast enough. Because obviously when you when you so we'll go back to that again so uh if you go to uh wheel shock motion right yeah and you know we'll we'll make the thing uh 588 again over here so you see the uh the one with the longer longer uh swing arm has got more more uh 2.2 to one let's say versus 2.1 to one leverage on the shock 
So right. as the longer you make, let's just say you, you go and you go make this thing big. You know, let's go 630 on the swing arm. So now yeah. you have a super soft, super soft bike. So now you have to go with this that particular linkage. Either you got to redesign the linkage or you got to go to a really big spring, you know, and uh, take out some of the preload, try to get this curve back. Okay, so now you've done 120 newtons with 12, 12 millimeters preload, and you, you've gone to 630, but look at where your shock is, the linkage. You have to change the linkage now because yeah. you can't move your shock fast enough to get the damping. You can't move enough oil to that little hole. You know, so, uh, so then you end up running really stiff settings, and then there's side effects around those stiff settings, like hysteresis and all kinds of stuff imbalance in the shop like you, you might want to run a c8 or c9 or whatever the heck those guys will give you on their on their sheet you know on their on their, on their uh library of valving right and so it's best to change the linkage so but when the stock chassis you're like up against the wall with what you can do with the linkage mm. you know that's why gp bikes are all prototypes you know they can do all kinds of stuff but um so with this thing you know the shock's going to move pretty slow compared to the wheel so you have to use a lot of damping so with that comes when they go from a 36 to an RSP 40, and then you go to RVP, you know, much bigger piston again, and moving more oil through the, through those holes. The bigger the piston, the more oil you're going to move. So the more oil you're going to move, the softer valve you can run. Okay. So, okay. Your, so your range comes back. You follow what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish it, I wish uh, Motor America would allow us to run that RVP. It's a, it's just the next step. It's big piston. That's all it is. Yeah, more oil through the hole so we can actually have some range of adjustment. Right. Yeah, right. that's about it. That's okay. about it. Is. Okay, so um, Adam Oranchek uh, says, starting off on the suspension journey, does a person need to have all the, quote, specialized tools and springs on hand? Um, you know, it depends it, on what track you're at, right? I mean, yeah, it depends on, you know, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've, we've made some pretty decent changes, but for the most part, we end up pretty pretty small window. Let's just say if we we're going to run our bike, it would be somewhere between 10 and 11 on the fork springs. You know, so a pair of 10s, pair of 11s, pair of 10 fives would probably cover us for 90% of the racetracks. Yeah. So really, you're not talking about very many springs. In the back, you know, we probably have three or four springs we might use on a regular basis, and that's about it. Yeah. You know, maybe three. So it isn't like you need a whole library of springs unless you're you don't know where you're at and you're trying to figure out where you're going to be but it might, might be good to get with a team that rides that motorcycle race that motorcycle and find out if you're new like where where or a suspension guy that knows that motorcycle really well goes well most people are in this range yeah and you know, maybe you get an olin's fork kit or a shock they're pretty close you know you might want to go up on the spring that's why guys like john he, he has a service he ha he, he has his shop and he has a lot of information and he's able to do all these different changes or give some guys a baseline. Right. And a lot of times, you know, he'll, if you're, if you don't like what he did, he'll tell you you're riding stupid, you know, right. you're not riding good enough to be able to do that, those settings. So it's, it, you can find a baseline. You don't have to have that many, that many tools yeah. to be able to go down that journey. You just have to be close. Yeah. I mean, at, you know, at our events, we have JJ come out. You know, yeah. does it matter? Like he's yeah. a, a suspension dude, suspension matters. And dude, he brings yeah. springs and stuff. Like he could swap springs in the pits. Like, yeah, it's, it's easy to do. 
yeah. any suspension guy should have should have any suspension guy should have a tool like this motospec preferably motospec because he keeps i mean jeff just keeps on with the with the uh updates. with the updates you know all the chassis updates yeah the other ones that, some of them are proprietary you may not get any updates you may have to buy updates but he he's he's you know, all that stuff's on his website whatever he has you can download it and put it up there so I think every every suspension guy should have a tool like this for the dynamics part and just be able to see where they're at it does it like i said this is a snapshot in time it doesn't do it doesn't do time-based stuff so time-based meaning uh like a velocity where you're, you're adding in um different uh forces from the damping the oil through the hole to the springs right and again that's a tracks where you know you're pitching breaking uh mid corner where you got a lot of load on it or you're you're accelerating uh or you're going over bumps you know that's when the dampers really make a big difference other than that it's, it's pretty much your dynamics of of uh you know spring rates and balance the motorcycle anti-squat trail all these different numbers are down here at the bottom of the screen here you know you get to know these numbers and once you once you find the numbers you're really kind of comfortable with you you try to hover around that area right yeah right i wouldn't say that's there's any beautiful number but you try to hover in that area you go a little bit up a little bit down so it's the it's not like everybody's running this you have to run no this. no if you're riding the r1 you have to run this no matter who you are how fat you are how skinny you are how buff no you are, no because of because of cg changes you know right it's a gravity change with every rider tall rider short rider heavy rider the center of gravity is always moving around so your balance your motorcycle's going to change you know it's all those st stupid newton and his laws you know It'd be, it'd be way easier if it was that way. <laughs> yeah, one setting, away you go. That'd be junior right. Everything junior, junior Yeah. <laughs> We're all I'd racing. Fire the throttle wide open and use the clutch to slow down. Yeah, that would be electric bike racing. <sighs> yeah, it's, yeah, I think I'm out when that happens, dude. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, still be motorbikes. And still I like the thing to make noise and, like, be mean. Yeah, you know, I have a different out, out, outlook on that. It, it depends on how high tech they get, but right. uh, I don't know. I think the whole electric car thing's stupid because right. you can't drive anywhere with the things. They're like around town cars, right? You can't go cross country. You can't go up to an event. You can't do anything. You got to right. stop and wait in line and charge your car. It takes you five minutes to fill up. It's ridiculous. You know, they're fun cars, though. I mean, they're, they're pretty nice to go around town, but you can't go anywhere with them. Right. And the, uh, the, I mean, I have both. I have an electric car and I have a gas guzzler. So use both of them. But uh, I, I heard Cowie has some kind of hybrid coming out. I don't know. That's what I, I heard from someone. But that, that'd be the, the next step, I think, is hybrids, where you have a, a smaller engine and an electric, electric boost motor, like Formula One. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I saw a dude talking about um, like a, a truck, a semi truck that had a. Uh, Kind of, kind of a similar setup to the way the trains are working, to where the diesel engines running at like a low, uh, a low RPM, constantly mm -hmm. charging the batteries for the electric motor. You know, well, there's a reason for for trains to have electric motors, right? Especially long locomotives, because right. well, tractor trailer rig would be the similar kind of thing. Similar right? thing, yeah. It's instant torque, right? So you don't you don't have to use the clutch, right? You know, can you imagine if you're trying to pull a train with a clutch or or a, or a, uh, some type of uh, torque converter? The thing would be working its brains out. 
So that's why you have a diesel engine that charges batteries, and the batteries run the motors and the, and the wheels. Right. You know, so the similar thing with a, with a truck, I can see you doing that with a big truck. Right. Do you ever see, uh, do you ever see, we're kind of getting off subject here, do you ever see the, the, the electric formula cars, how they change, doing they do a pit stop? No. They change the whole car. What? They change the whole car. The guy pulls in the garage and pulls out a new car. No shit. Yeah, that's, yeah. it probably have to, right? Because it's all battery you, in there. You can't charge, I mean, you're going to do pull a whole battery stack out of that thing. You know, you're going to charge a thing for half an hour. Uh, you know, he just the guy jumps out and jumps like it's like uh, go, doing the uh, doing flag to flag racing where the guy comes in, hops on another motorcycle, and rips out of there. Same type of deal. The tag team, tag team. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So um, let's see. Even with uh, even with roughly the equal weight distribution front and rear, the effective spring rate should be higher for slightly oversteery rear for lap times is that accurate i'm like what uh i'm slightly not understanding exactly what he's saying i'm not either i'm like slightly oversteery i don't even know what that means dude <laughs> yeah he wants to he wants to oversteer so he wants to he wants to have the rear slide okay right okay that the understeer would be the front tuck right so he wants the rear to slide and and what do you say about the balance he was saying that even with roughly equal weight distribution front and rear the effective rear spring rate should be higher for slightly over steery rear which means faster lap times well i mean you can look at this this program you can go rear force versus front force for the springs we have here and you can see where the front force is much less than the rear right generally speaking yes i mean you would be you'd be running more force on the rear than you do on the front okay typical yeah, yeah. quite a bit more you can see what the differences are right there it isn't yeah. a little bit it's quite a bit wow. yeah and, and if you look at look at you know any of the bikes on the racetrack you get much more movement on the front than you do the rear you know the the, the front you're going to go down 130 millimeters in mid corner like let's say uh we take one of jeff's little mid corner deals here and then uh like a template and you'll see mid corner generally 80 millimeters front 20 millimeters rear wow so it's about if if that's a rear potentiometer meaning that's a shock so double that for two to one suspension linkage ratio you get about 40 so the front's going down 80 and the rear's going down 40. wow if you okay. really so that's pretty typical you know so it's like two to one almost the front moving down but you can see where there's there's still imbalance of forces. You can see the front has more force than the rear. If you look at look at where the dots are, yeah, position, you know, by a little bit, you know, you got twenty one fifty newtons here and whatever this is here, you know, or is this front wheel force newtons? Yeah, same numbers. So yeah, so um, yeah, so the front's got a little more force than the rear. It's tip, yeah. tipped over on its nose a little more. So that means the guy's probably either leaning forward, like hanging over the bars or whatever the case may be. But th this thing is uh, a little bit soft on the rear versus the front, let's say. Okay. Yeah. Well, th that's a lot of info, uh, Richard. I think, yeah. I think we pretty much covered the rear. Everybody think they, we had a good time with the rear? Well, you know, if they got any questions, they could always message you and, yeah. and uh, we could try to answer it.
yeah, we try to simplify this stuff, but it, it definitely takes practice to understand right. what's happening. Get in the garage and measure your bike and do all this, all the things that, all the tools that you can use to improve how your weekend goes, especially with teams, teams and suspension guys. They really, really need to step up to using this on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, you know what, Richard? I think we should wrap this thing and uh, send you back to whatever it is. Yeah, you're making new cups to hold your Starbucks. Yeah. yeah, insulting suspension guys. I do that really well, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so okay, so the, we're not averaging fork springs, and um, we're not really quote-unquote, reading the tire? Not so much. I mean, obviously, you see how the tire wears. First thing you look at when you get off the bike, but yeah, we don't, we don't do, we don't go, oh, my God, there's, there's a little bit of graining on the tire. We just go, oh, man, the track's still cold. Or, you see, or let's have a little here, This is your acceleration line. Yeah. Well, there is, there is that. There are parts of the tire where you're driving. Yeah. And, and there are parts of the tire where you're going around a corner. So those do... You can see that. You can see yeah. that with the tire. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, this is a lot of information. I hope everybody enjoys this. This three-part series. It's on a, like I, I created a uh, playlist, I guess, on YouTube for that. So um, I'll share the whole, I'll share the three episodes uh, later mm -hmm. on social media if you guys want to take a look. And again, like Richard said, if you have any more questions, Dude, maybe we'll do another show with all the, to like address all the questions and tie everything together. Yeah, you know what we could do, and uh, I'll have to prepare. Unlike what I did for these last three, which is just wing it. <laughs> I just show up and just rattle off a bunch of stupidness. But anyway, I could I could probably export some of this stuff into the data, which we already do. Okay. And show some real live forces and real live data. Okay. Like Laguna or wherever we've been to, where the damping action is 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 also added to some of the things that we're doing, or we can look at the rake and trail in the middle of a corner. So that might be interesting for some people to see. Yeah. What, where the actual real rake and trail numbers are as you go through a corner, how how it works dynamically. You know the timeline, the squiggly graphs, because this this tool here will will export. You know this data act stuff. So this oh, tool and, works and really quick, before I let you go, I got one from our favorite little buddy Blair Ramey. Okay. He wants to he wants to ask you how does motion ratio play in the end with the link? Um, motion ratio is is basically that's the reason for the linkage. Okay. You know, so that's what we're showing here. So this. When he's talking about motion ratio, these are the numbers. Our motion ratio starts off at, say, 2.1 on this blue line and goes down to, uh, you know, one point or whatever the heck this thing is over here, you know, right. 2.029 on on the red and 1.893 on the blue. So the small the smaller the motion ratio number on this particular graph, um, then the stiffer the linkage the the as stiffer the the rear suspension is and the faster the shock moves. So your damping goes up as well as your forces go up. So okay. yeah, the motion ratio is part of the linkage design. Okay. That's, that's, that's like the basics. It's like saying, okay. 
walking and running, you know? <laughs> well, there you go, man. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, we'll do that. We'll do that episode next week or maybe in a couple of weeks. Maybe a couple of weeks. I, yeah. I, I'm pretty busy, but uh, yeah. maybe we can get some of that real data acquisition and talk about some of the different racetracks and how you can see exactly what's happening using this tool on, yeah. on the on the data side. Okay. And maybe we want to get Jeff or somebody involved in it too. I don't know. Yeah, dude, we could, I bet we could get Jeff. Like that dude. Yeah. yeah. He, he would explain it a lot better than I am. That's for sure. Cause he wrote the software. Well, like he's the actual nerd, right? Like we're just pretend yeah. nerds. Well, he's a real scientist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we get Marshall too, and he's a real scientist too. <laughs> right, right. John and I just pretend to, pretend to be. <laughs> right, uh, reading the tires and you yeah. know averaging fork springs, that kind of thing. Right. Tea leaves, yeah. John likes tea, so we'll, we'll you know and coffee. I keep Espresso. telling you, you need a cup of tea guy over there. That's you know. Yeah, yeah. That's it. All, All right, right, man. Dude. Well, let's uh, let's uh, wrap this thing, and um, I'll catch you next time. Yeah. All right. All See right. Ya. Cool.